We're going to uh, be reading from Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 25. This is actually part two of our series, First Things First. And uh, I I planned this series back many weeks ago and um, really started working on the messages uh, back then with no idea that we were going to be faced with the COVID-19 virus. And so I really feel uh, the Holy Spirit orchestrated so well uh, this timing and and this message today. Matthew chapter 6, and these are the words of Jesus beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we just pray that uh, in these moments that we share together around your word, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray as I always do for your anointing to rest upon my life, not as some commodity that I've earned or deserve, but because I want to communicate your word in a way that will be helpful and encourage those who are listening today. So speak to us, captivate our attention, and change us by your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I um, am not one that uh, at this time mows my own yard. We are uh, live in a parsonage that's on uh, the campus here at Glad Tidings. But for many years, that was something that I did and actually kind of enjoyed doing. It was a little bit of a diversion from my normal, um, normal activities of the day or the week. But one of the things that I remember, especially when I was pastoring in Winchester, we had a a large lawn next to the house that um, was a little bit patchy. It was not part of the original lot. It was really a lot in between, and uh, I'm not sure that anyone had really owned it, but I would mow it. And I always noticed that um, in the places where the grass was the thickest, um, there would be very few weeds. Those areas where the grass was maybe a little more sparse, there would be more weeds. It would always be in those areas where it was just patchy dirt. That's where all of the weeds would be. I remember going around and pulling those weeds, pulling them out of the patchy dirt and thinking, I need to do this more often. And one day it dawned on me where the thick grass was, was where there were no weeds at all. And so I realized that, that instead of spending all of my time pulling weeds, I would be better served if I spent time planting grass. Because where I would plant the grass, and if it would become thick, the weeds would eventually be eliminated. The same thing applies to worry in our lives. Worry is like weeds. It actively, um, it actively works against our peace of mind. And, 
And too often we spend too much time trying to pull the weeds of worry away instead of recognizing that the grass is the seeking of God's kingdom. We'll spend more time there. The weeds of worry will find themselves eliminated. I found this interesting. According to our nation's Bureau of Standards, a dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet contains less than one glass of water. All of that fog, if it could be condensed into water, wouldn't quite fill a drinking glass. Think about all of those things that fog our life, all of those things that we worry about. They seem so monstrous and so huge. But the fact is they really have little substance in them when you compare them to the vastness and the greatness of our God. Worry is one of the great diseases that that paralyzes the people of God today. And certainly there's some things to worry about. The coronavirus is something that is so ever-present on our minds. And, And many are concerned about the economy and the stock market. And there are so many things that we find ourselves worrying about. And those weeds just kind of choke out our joy and our peace. I'm going to take just a moment and talk about what Scripture says about worry. In Proverbs 12 and 25, worry weighs a person down. But an encouraging word cheers a person up. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, give all of your worries and your cares to God because he cares about you. That's what scripture says about worry. In this text, in Matthew chapter 6, the words of Jesus, we find that worry is the theme. Six of the seven times, interestingly, that Matthew even uses the word worry are in this text. In all of his 28 chapters in his gospel, he uses this word seven times. Six of them are in our text. The word is marinaho, and uh, it means to worry, or Jesus would say, don't worry, don't marinaho, take no thought, is what some of the translations say. Don't give any thought to that. In verse 25, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink or your clothing. In verse 27, he says, worry can't add one cubit to your stature. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 28, worrying about clothing is unnecessary. Look at the lilies of the field. They're dressed just fine. In verse 31, don't worry about eating or drinking or clothing again. And in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about its own things. The focus on worry, the focus on our own sustenance, our own material things comes on the heels of Jesus saying this, nobody can serve two masters. You're going to hate the one or you're going to love the other. You can't be devoted to both at the same time. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon or material things or money. Clearly, we are not to be worrying about those things, but instead we are to entrust ourselves to God. The antidote to worry, and we'll end up getting there today, is verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of worrying, 
Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we're consumed by, that we worry about, will be added to us. It's one of those first things first. It's seeking the kingdom of God first. Before we get to that, I want to talk about four simple truths about worry. And then we're going to get to what it looks like to put first things first. There are four things that this text kind of screams at us about worry. Number one, when we worry, it causes us to miss out on the more of life. Can I just read verse 25 to you again in Matthew 6? That is why I tell you not to worry about ordinary life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. And then listen to what Jesus says. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? The word more is the Greek word pleon. And it means more excellent in quality. In other words, Jesus is saying, isn't your life more excellent in quality than your food or your clothing, what you wear? Isn't that more excellent? So what is the more of life? Jesus gives the examples of food and clothing and what we eat and drink. All of those things are required in this life. But Jesus says, if you focus on those things, you will miss the more of life. So what is the more of life that we lose We spend time worrying about the things that we have to have in this life. Let me suggest to you three things. First of all, the more of life includes the joy of being sustained by his word. I think about Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan who wanted him to focus his attention on food. Turn these stones to bread. But Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said, I want to be sustained by the more of life. I want to be sustained by the word of God. And as we walk through this coronavirus crisis, I think God wants us to learn to be sustained, have the joy of being sustained by his word. When our time is consumed by worrying about the earthly things, I'll never experience the fulfilled sustenance and joy that comes from his word. The second more of life that we lose when we spend time worrying about the things of this life is the peace of being quieted by his presence. When you're all bent out of shape and worried and frantic and afraid and fearful, you're missing the more of being still and knowing that he is God. You're missing the beauty of sitting in his presence and having him reassure you everything's going to be fine. He is in control. We get so worked up and we miss the more of life, being stilled and quieted by his presence. And then we also miss the hope of a promise set before us. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that Jesus was able to endure the cross, not because the pain wasn't real, not because he wasn't concerned about how it might feel or what his disciples might do, but he was able to endure the cross because he focused on the joy that was set before him. And when you're all bent out of shape about all the stuff that's happening and all the things that create worry in your life, you miss the hope of the promise set before you. And it gets so clouded and all of a sudden that fog seems so thick when compared to the greatness and the vastness of God, it is but an empty glass of water. You miss the hope of a promise set before you. We worry for the things of life and that consumes us. We never enjoy the more of life. Corey Tenboom 
has long been honored by evangelical Christians as an example, an exemplary person of Christian faith and putting that faith into action. Corrie Ten Boom was arrested by the Nazis along with the rest of her family for hiding Jews in their home during the Holocaust. She was later imprisoned and sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp along with her sister. Her sister's name was Betsy. And Betsy actually died just days before Corey's own release from the concentration camp on December 31st, on December 31st, 1944. Corey Ten Boom says this about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It doesn't just, worry can't get rid of tomorrow's concern, but what it does is it zaps you of your strength. Where he causes us to miss out on the more of life. Secondly, um, not only does worry cause us to miss out on the more of life, worry does no good. Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, the cubit was a standard of measure of length. um, But that's probably not what is being talked about here. That standard of length, the meter was, uh, or that standard of length was about half a meter about 18 inches, and I want you just to realize Jesus was not saying, which of you by worrying can add 18 inches to his stature? I'm only five foot eight, that would make me seven foot two, and that would not be something I'd be thrilled about. That'd be a problem instead of something I would want to do. The word stature is a Greek word, uh, helikia, and it can mean height, but it can also mean span of life. A cubit, could be the 18 inches, but it could also speak about the breadth or the lifespan that we might experience. Jesus is saying, worrying can't make your life last longer. Our lifespan, no less food and clothing and drink, is a gift from God. We don't need to worry about it because God is in control. The psalmist said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hands. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. We get all worried about things that we can't control anyway. Worry does no good. In January 1999, the North Atlantic commercial fishing industry had something very unusual, unprecedented happen. In a 13-day span, there was a string of deadly accidents. The Cape Fear, the Adriatic, and the Beth D. Bob were all lost at sea off the coast of New Jersey. In all, 10 men died, five never were found. You see, commercial fishing is a dangerous way to make a living, but but even so, three ships going down in 13 days have never happened before. It was extraordinarily rare and unusual, particularly when all three of these boats came out of the same dock. Investigations revealed the following facts about these three separate tragedies. None involved a hull breach. All three ships were piloted by veteran captains with 10 years or more in the wheelhouse. All three ships were near the end of their journey, less than 15 miles from home. So what happened? Two of these ships were carrying too much weight. 
and one was carrying its weight improperly. Commercial vessels on the water in early January are mostly clam boats. And as were the Cape Fear, the Adriatic, and the Beth D. Bob. A commercial clam trap is three feet by three feet by four feet. And it weighs 300 pounds empty. But laden with all of those clams, they weigh in it between one and one and a half tons apiece. The Cape Fear and the Adriatic each had 10 extra traps on board. That's 10 to 15 tons of excess weight. Interviewers later ask other boat captains who fish these waters this question. Why would a veteran boat captain completely ignore the papers on his boat and attempt to carry 10 to 15 tons more than was safe? Time after time, the answer came in in the form of a quizzical look and a shrug. Simply put, the behavior was common practice. These captains did not perceive themselves to be in danger. They were simply doing what was normal in their industry. Can I tell you, it's become far too normal for believers to carry the weight of their own worry and their own anxiety. And it weights us down and ultimately it can destroy us. Too many of you are carrying weight Jesus never intended for you to carry. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. And what about these beautiful words of Jesus? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worry does no good. Worry just destroys us. Number three, worry is contrary to our identity in Christ. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said, um, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, look at this, the Gentiles seek. That's what Gentiles, that's what pagans do. They worry about those things. Your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things. What Jesus was saying is don't act like the pagans that don't know they have a heavenly father. Your identity is different. Your identity is you know your father and you know that he has great awareness of your needs. God's people are to be people of faith, and we can be because we believe our Father knows what we have need of. The Gentiles, the pagans, they worry about things feverishly. That's why they pray like they do. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, don't don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. They're frantic. I hope God hears me. Remember the uh, prophets of Baal on, the, on Mount Carmel screaming and hollering at their God and trying to get his attention. That's what pagans do. They worry and try to get God to do something. Believers know they have a heavenly father that knows exactly what they have need of. Heavenly father that can speak to the storm and it has to be quiet. And so we don't need to worry because it is contrary to our, our identity in Christ. The believer need not be consumed by worry because his father is near. I'll just tell you two quick little stories. Um, when I was growing up, there used to be out toward Gaston, Indiana, a lake that many of us would swim at called Emerald Lake. And um, I remember, I, this is a vivid memory. I don't know how old I was, but probably only four or five or six and I remember going out to that lake and my dad went out with us and, and it was probably just my brother Mark and myself and, and uh, we were there swimming. I think my mom was there as well. And I just remember being in that lake and I was probably only up to the water waist high. 
And I remember putting my head under the water and somehow I turned around and when I turned around, all I could see was a crowd, but I couldn't see my dad. And I remember totally freaking out and I was scared and I was crying. I was bawling like, and and suddenly I made one more little turn and there was my dad. And I mean, instantaneously, all the crying was gone. It's because I saw my father was near. I also remember, um, when I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old and my mom was working that week and it was in the summer and my dad worked till three. And again, uh, we were home by ourselves. Um, I don't know if that can get him in trouble now, but we were, I don't think they can get it, go after him now, but we were home by ourselves. And, and again, probably 10 and 12 years old, something like that. And and uh, there was a big storm, a tornado was in the area, tornado warnings, and we were just absolutely scared. And so we called our mom and she was at work downtown. She told us to pull this huge dining room table over by the kitchen sink and, um, and get underneath the, this huge table. Um, I guess that makes sense unless that table flies up and lands on your head. But nevertheless, we pulled it over and we, we hovered under there. And then it was about 3.15. That's when my dad would come home. And I mean, you could, we had the screen door. You could hear through the screen door and, and rain was pouring and wind was blowing. And I heard my dad open the door. Now, there was no warning gone. The warning was still there. You could still hear the storm. But my dad walked in the front door and I was out from underneath that table like nobody's business because my dad was there. And all of a sudden, I was calmed because of the nearness of my father's presence. That's how we can be as believers. Um, Our father is not absent during this coronavirus scare. Our father is not absent when we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Our father is not absent if we lose our job or the stock market goes down. To worry is contrary to the identity of those who are in Christ because we have a father that cares. Number four, worry demonstrates a life that does not count well the sufficiency of God's keeping grace. So don't worry, Jesus said, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You see, God promises his care and provision, but he does not promise a long picnic. Each day will have troubles. The text says it. Tomorrow will have some troubles. Today's are enough to worry about, but God's promises assure us that his grace makes those troubles survivable. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He wanted it to go. God, take away the thorn in my flesh. Three times he asked God. God's response was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When we worry, we're saying God's grace isn't sufficient for us. See, we're not promised a picnic, but we're promised sufficient grace. When I worry, I'm doubting that sufficiency. Marshall Shelley writes these words, My my wife's father is a Kansas farmer. He spent a lifetime raising wheat, corn, milo, beef, and along the way some sheep and chickens. One morning while I followed him around the farm, we talked about the difference between city living and a rural lifestyle. He said this, most city folks I know expect each year to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise, to earn more this year than you did last year. As a farmer, I have good years and I have bad years. It all depends on rain at the right time, dry days for harvest and no damaging storms. Some years we have more, some years we have less. 
It was one of those indelible moments, Marshall Shelley says, of stunning clarity. And that's the law of the harvest. Some years being fat and others being lean applies to much more than agriculture. Growing in spiritual maturity requires gratefully accepting the seasons of more and the seasons of less that God weaves into specific areas of our lives, our friendships, our marriage, our careers, our finances, our ministry, and our spiritual growth. But God's grace is sufficient, good days and bad days. Big harvest and lean harvest. But do we trust our Father and his sufficient grace, or do we worry? Let me close now with the uh, antidote to worry. It's clear in this text. It is a first things first issue. Listen to what Jesus says. Look at it on the screen, but seek first the kingdom of God. But in other, instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. What does that look like, seeking the kingdom? What is God calling us to when he says, seek the kingdom? In Matthew 25, there's this incredible parable that Jesus gives of the the master that leaves, the king that leaves, and he has three servants. He gives one five talents, one two talents, one one talent, and he says, invest them. Jesus tells that parable to show us what the values of the kingdom are. So he goes away, and he goes away, and this parable is right on the heels of Jesus saying, Nobody knows the time that the Son of Man is returning. But watch, therefore, because you don't know the hour that the Son of Man comes. So Jesus is now describing what watching in the kingdom looks like. How are we to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus? And he tells this parable about these three servants. And you know the story. One man had five and he doubled it and it became ten. One man had two talents and he doubled it and it became four. But one man buried his one talent And the master returned and was so angry and he took that one talent away from him and he gave it to the man who had five and it became ten. And so it is the king who is coming to see if they were watchful or not. Watchful means I'm working, I'm doing something for the kingdom. Those who sought the kingdom that at the end of this parable are said to be rewarded when the king comes and he judges. Here's how Jesus climaxes that parable He says, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Look at this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's what you get rewarded for. That's what watchfulness looks like. Those are the values of the kingdom. So when you seek the kingdom of God, you're doing those things. So don't worry, Jesus said, but seek the kingdom. Can I say, especially in light of these days, many are quarantined, businesses are closed, we're uncertain about the economy, at least for a season. So Jesus said, don't worry, but instead seek the kingdom. Live out the values of the kingdom. So instead of worrying, here are the values of the kingdom. Serve others like Christ did. You gave me cool water. 
You gave me food when I was hungry. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. They said, we didn't even know we did that. He said, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. Who can you serve during this time of crisis? Who could you take food to? Who could you call on and check while they're stuck in their house? Serve others like Christ did instead of worry. It's a value of the kingdom. What about caring for others like Christ did? I don't know that I ever read it quite quite this way, but Jesus said, I was a stranger and you took me in and we were hospitable. Who do you know that needs care right now? Instead of spending all your time focused on your worries, how about caring for somebody like Christ did? And then this really screamed at me. How about showing grace and hope to others like Christ did? When you were in prison, when I was in prison, you visited me. Instead of judging you, I visited you. Instead of pointing out your failure, I gave you grace and hope is what Jesus said. Those are the values of the kingdom, serving, caring, showing grace. Those are the values of the kingdom that we will ultimately be rewarded for when he returns. Don't worry, because it won't help. It's not going to fix anything. It's not your identity in Christ. It takes away the more of life. It causes you to doubt the sufficiency of God's grace. Don't worry, but instead seek the kingdom. Serve somebody, care for somebody. Show hope and grace to them. And then all of these things will be added because we have a Father who knows our need. And those things will be added to us. Thank you, faithful God, faithful Father, for being to us a Father that knows every need we have, cares about every concern we have, stands ready to minister to us. Teach us not to worry, but to cast our care on you, to come to you if we are weary and heavy laden. And teach us to serve and care and give grace to people in this time to seek the kingdom as you add all things to us. Let's worship the Lord together.